episode of the Digging In Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying our Lessons From series as we are currently firmly situated on the story of Moses. In our last episode, we opened up the book of Exodus to begin our story of Moses by talking about quite a few items. However, All of it was only in three chapters. The beginning of Moses' story is so dense and so full of information that in three chapters, we took 20 some odd minutes to really break it down. So I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you're ready for the second episode. But before we jump into that, make sure you guys go ahead and grab your Bibles, pen, and paper and you get yourselves ready to dig in. God, thank you so much for helping us to set aside time in our day. God, I know that I pray for the same thing every single time, but ultimately, Lord, it is such an accomplishment when we can actively make time for you, when we can purposefully focus on you. It's so good, God, and thank you so much for not only blessing this time, but ultimately, God, just being with us, God, in the spirit, in ourselves, that you are with us, encouraging us to be more and more like your son. God, we love you so much, and we pray that as we go through the story of Moses, you would highlight and and show us the things that you want us to know about Moses, but also about ourselves. We love you so much, God. Thank you for everything you have done are doing, and will do in our lives. Amen. Right on, guys. So, like usual, we are about to embark on a journey that uh, will take us from this two and a half minute mark all the way to who knows how long. Uh, I try to keep it under 25 minutes, usually 20 minutes, but uh, just buckle in. And with that, go ahead and write down your answer to this first question today. What is redemption? When you hear the word redemption, or maybe redemption story, what do you think of? Are there people you think of? Are there stories you think of? Are there elements within a redemption story that you are aware of? What is it that makes redemption special? Define it, make some sense of it, and then go ahead and open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 4. Usually I highlight a bunch of things for you guys to to read certain chapters, certain verses, but uh, it's getting to the point where Exodus is just almost impossible to do that. There's so much going on inside of one chapter that to miss it would be to miss a lot. So I'm just going to get crazy and uh, beg you (laughs) with every ounce of myself, I beg you to pause this podcast and read chapters four through 19 because it is ridiculous. It is a beautiful story of mayhem and chaos, miracles and wondrous signs. You're going to love it. So just pause the podcast, read chapters 4 through 19, and then join us back as we continue on with the story of Moses. Awesome. I know that was uh, tough. And for those of you who didn't pause this and actually just blew right through it and said, well, I can't read all that. I don't have kind of time for that. Um, I would just ask once again that you pause and really go back and read it. I, guys, it's 
I mean, specifically seven through like 13, 14, seven through 14 is super, super important. That's like the craziness, but you got to get some setup and then some stuff after to see how the story really unfolds. Um, so please go do read that. But for those of you who did read it, you guys are faithful Bible readers. Nice job. You worked your way through Genesis and you were moving on to Exodus. And I'm here to prove to you that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are not the most boring books in the Bible, but rather some of the most exciting. In fact, they're some of the most important. So I'm here to show that to you as the best I can. All the while, we are learning about Moses and how the story of Moses does pose questions and lessons for us here in 2020, 2021, actually. And I think there's some important stuff here. So let's go ahead and and recap some of the chapters and talk about a few of the most important things that you just read about. Chapters four through six. So chapters four through six are, um, they, they may feel not very important compared to all that you just read with the miracles and the plagues and all that craziness. But I'm just telling you, chapters four through six are huge. In chapter four and five, <clears throat> sorry, in chapter four, we learn about uh, God telling Moses that he's going to give him the ability to do miraculous signs. And he proves it to him and it's crazy. And so for the first time ever, we're seeing the power of God manifested, given to a human being to use, not just willy-nilly for the sake of magic, but rather for the goodness of God's name and for his people, Israel. And so this miraculous set of gifts seems pretty wild. And they're going to unfold, obviously, as you read forward. But we learn that it's possible for God to give his crazy power to a human being for a human being to use for the good of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of His people, and then in chapter five we see the that all that stuff from Pharaoh in Exodus one eight through whatever twenty one I think we're going to see that explode in chapter five right the the brutality of slavery increases mega it's it's horrifying chapter six. God does this really, really wild thing in verses 2 through 13 of chapter 6 where he actually promises them the third part of that Abraham covenant, right? We haven't really accomplished the second part, the restoration of the um, relationship between God and man, but God is going ahead and saying, I promise you at one point, you're going to get this promised land. I'm telling you now, it's going to happen. So that's really exciting. Uh, The rest of chapter 6 is really weird because it's a genealogy. A genealogy of Moses and his brother Aaron, which again, I hope I've turned your your brain around on genealogies in the Bible for you to not think that they're just some random list of names, but so that you can trace Moses all the way back to Abraham to see this is one family line. Super important, very a very important uh, pattern that we're going to see as we continue moving forward. And then we open it to the next major section, 7 through 15. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, Moses and Aaron officially approach Pharaoh. And not only do they approach Pharaoh, but they go ahead and throw out these first little miraculous signs and wonders. And these are just a foretaste, right? These are just a little tiny ounce of what is about to happen, of the power of God through Moses. Because what do we read in 14? But the very first official plague. The 
magicians of Pharaoh were able to keep up with Moses and his little tricks and stuff. But then when it came to this moment, they could do nothing because the entire Nile River turned into blood. Complete blood. The entire river. The magicians were flabbergasted. Pharaoh flabbergasted, right? And so what happens is for the next four that that follow, the next four plagues that follow, we read this the same phrase right at the end of every single one. It says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened or something close to that. And the Hebrew there, guys, the Hebrew behind that was hardened or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. What that really is saying is that Pharaoh chose to harden his own heart. So God, in his infinite wisdom and in his ability to be the God of the universe, says, I'm going to give this Pharaoh some chances here. I'm going to allow him to experience five plagues in which he has the chance to turn around and see me and fall to his knees and say, my kingdom is nothing like the kingdom of God, right? And what happens every single time he hardens his heart and he believes, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not worshiping that God at all. And so then from six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, those plagues, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart because the evil of Pharaoh is just so intense that he will not relent from anything. And so what does God do? He says, just like we read in Genesis 50, right there, the very end of Genesis, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. In this moment, God is looking at this scenario and seeing all of the evil of Pharaoh and saying, I'm going to use your immense evil for my good and my people's good. And so as he hardens Pharaoh's heart and as the story gets worse and worse, as the plagues get worse and worse, it just seems like nothing good can come of this, especially when we get this horrifying thought of this, this male child being killed, right? The, the 10th plague. And this is like, a, it's a reversion. It's, it's like, remember Pharaoh tried to kill the male child of the Israelites. And that obviously didn't go well for Pharaoh, but now God is turning that on him saying, now I'm going to show you what that really looks like. And that's horrifyingly scary in every possible way, right? And so, What we also read in that same thing, in that same moment, is that God provides a protection, a protection to Israel. He says, Israel, if you love me and you want to obey me, you want me to save you, then you're going to take a lamb, a little tiny lamb that is without blame, has no imperfections, a totally perfect and spotless, right? Completely white. You're going to take that lamb and you're going to sacrifice it. You're going to kill it. And then you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to smear it on the door frame outside your house. So that way, when the spirit of death comes through Egypt, he will pass by your house because you have the blood of the lamb protecting you. Lots of imagery there, lots of stuff. If you are a Christian and you know this language, you're, you should be like, wait a second, really? That's cool. Because it is really cool. The blood of the lamb protecting Israel. But here's the thing. He doesn't say that just because you're an Israelite means that you are safe. No, there is something that he is requiring, some sort of obedience that he's requiring of Israel. Because in reality, any Israelite could have just not done this. And when that spirit of death came over, the child would have been killed all the same, just as all the Egyptians who did not know that they could be safe. So 
so that's that's crazy right that's the power of god and so that's the 10th plague and what we read is at the end of chapter 12 they're right in the middle of chapter 12 rather is we read this we see the word exodus where the book gets its name the exodus is this mass departure from slavery but to something else right so if you were going to leave somewhere that'd just be like an exit but this is the exodus which means that you're not just going from one place but you're going to another and so god uses that last little moment right that last little plague and then pharaoh finally relents he says just leave all of you every last one of you leave i cannot handle this i cannot do it you must go so israel packs up their things after 400 years 400 years of brutal slavery, they leave. They're finally out of slavery. You read nonstop about how horrible the slavery is and how terrible Pharaoh is. And now they're free. Now, I'm blowing through this. I'm, I'm doing this really quickly because I'm trying to stay within a time frame. And I, I know that I'm not doing a great service to the immensity of this thing. But... I want you guys to think about 400 years for a second. 400 years. Guys, that's more than four generations in Israel. That's more like six to eight generations for Israel because they didn't live as long as we do. That's four, five, maybe even six generations to this day. Imagine that. That's your great, great, great grandpa all the way to you being enslaved in slavery, not just slavery, but brutal, horrific slavery. Even worse than what we know in our history books about the horrible stages of our early American life when we had African slaves. It's even way worse than that. And it lasted that long. And now they're free. Guys, this is amazing. So then we, we read that they crossed the Red Sea. Um, so this, this is a famous, for every reason, this is super famous, right? Um, Israel's in the desert. Now they're they are free from Egypt. They are on their way and things are just looking good for them and then out of nowhere pharaoh who consistently hardened his heart and then god hardened his heart chases after them he just comes after him decides you know what i gotta go get those guys i don't like what i've done my decision was not my best decision i said it in fear so now i'm gonna go get those guys i'm gonna kill them all and or bring them back and so he gets out there in all his chariots and all of his army and everyone chases after Israel sees this and they run and they run and they find themselves at the edge of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And they're standing at the edge of the sea when God tells Moses to lift up his hands. And as he lift up his hand, lifts up his hands, he parts the water. It says that the water was suspended basically in air, that the, the parts of it where the land was completely exposed um, to, to give them basically two walls. And this is some Genesis language, which is really cool if you look back to the creation story. Um, but God is lifting up so that way all of the Israelites can run free. And they run free indeed. And as they go over there to the other side, the Egyptians and all of Pharaoh's army chases after them. And then as that happens, the sea collapses, drowning all who were in the water. And that's the end of the story of Egypt. For now. But... They're free. They're safe, right? Chapter 14, they have done it. God has, through his wonderful nature and magical abilities, right? Magical, in quotes. He has gotten them to safety. And 
What, how do they respond? How does Israel respond? Well, they respond in the best way they could ever respond. In fact, a way that is now going to be the standard for how we respond to the goodness of God, which is the first ever worship song. Chapter 15 is the first worship song in the entire Bible. And what you get from the first worship song in the entire Bible is just pure, magnificent beauty. Because all it's doing is highlighting the goodness and power and might and love and mercy and grace of God. They respond to the goodness of God by singing about God. How amazing is that? What a beautiful story. 400 years of slavery, finally freed through this sequence of 10 ridiculous plagues, this awful evil ruler being finally defeated, completely defeated. And then they sing praise and worship forever. Well, sort of. Go to chapter 16, our last section today, 16 through 19. What do we read in uh, 16.2? Anyone want to take a gander? All that praise and worship seems to really have stopped when it says that Israel groaned. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They grumble. I know God just saved us and all that, but, but now what? It's just so hot here. We're hungry. It would have been better that we would have just died as slaves in Egypt than be out here in the wilderness with no food. Guys, what? Israel immediately turns away, immediately looks away from all that they've been saved from and brought to and grumbles against Moses and Aaron, which just means that they're grumbling against God. And then we read this really weird story in chapter 17. By the way, God ends up giving them food in plenty at the end of that chapter, like a whole bunch of food, and they still seem to repeat that pattern over and over. In chapter 17, we read this really weird story um, about water from a rock and this, this military battle where Moses had to keep his arms up. Super cool stories, really interesting. Uh, in chapter 18, there's a, some advice from this guy named Jethro, who you may have heard of previously if you've been reading. Um, you should definitely read it, important. And then chapter 19, where we're really trying to get to today, where I want to kind of leave us off today. Chapter 19 is a very important uh, moment in the story of Israel because here's what's wild. Uh, From Exodus 19 until, I believe, uh, Numbers. Yeah, for for the rest of this this book and then they're at the uh, foot of Mount Sinai, right? Which was the mountain, if in case you didn't know, this was the mountain where Moses saw God in the burning bush. He said, you'll serve me. You remember, remember? I'm going to get you guys out of there. And then when you do, you're going to come to this mountain and you're going to serve me. And here we go. From Exodus 19 until the end of the book of Leviticus, we are at the foot of Mount Sinai. And only for like a year, I think, a year and a half maybe. So the next little while takes place over about a year. Um, And and so that's kind of interesting. But all this is to say, uh, I want you guys to go ahead and, and read with me because this is really amazing. This is a reestablishment of the covenant. And not just that, this isn't just the Abrahamic covenant. This seems like God is actually making a new sort of covenant that through Moses now in the people of Israel, there is a new covenant. Previously, we had this covenant with Abraham and the family of Abraham had this covenant through the Abrahamic covenant. And now 
Israel through Moses is about to receive the covenant. So this is interesting. But what I want you guys to know today, what is the lesson? What is all that we can learn from this section of the story of Moses? Yeah, we can learn about the miracles and the signs and even the genealogy in the plagues. And these are great stories. These are great moments in the history of Israel. But that is not the lesson today. Hear it, know it, remember it to be true. Remember the patterns and remember the sequence that you saw things because they'll repeat themselves all throughout scripture. But don't go too far just yet. I want you to read with me 19, 4 through 6. This is God talking. God is speaking out over or to Moses, basically over all of Israel. He says, go and tell Israel this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Right? So that's that first part of the Exodus. He took them out and brought them to him. Part one. Second part, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Second part of this phrase, what he's saying is, obey me. Keep the covenant I'm about to give to you. Keep it and hold tight to it. Obey it. And why? The third part is why? You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Guys, what God is doing right here, what he's saying to Moses is this. I'm about to make a covenant with you. Remember who I am always. Remember how I brought you out of that horrific situation. And I did such amazing miracles to even bring you out of it. And not only that, but now... I'm taking you to something and you're going to obey me in this new covenant. This new covenant I'm going to give you, you have to obey me. Because when you do, it's going to prove that you are my nation, a nation of priests. Holy. Guys, that word holy, super important. One of the first times we ever really hear this and something we're going to continue talking about. But to be holy is to be set apart, different from everything else, way different from everything else. So to be called a nation of priests, to be holy, means that you are going to be different than all other nations of people. There will be none like you because you will obey my commands. Guys, this is super important. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it in our next episode as more of this gets defined. But what God is asking for is for us to listen to him and obey him. And why would we do that? Well, mainly because he just rescued all of Israel out of 400 years of slavery, and he didn't even have to leave his seat. He just used words and a human being, right? He's that powerful. He's that good. And not to mention, back in Genesis 2-7, he picked up the dust of the earth and he breathed life into the dust, the breath of air. And what that did was it gave a human being life. Guys, we owe all to him. So why would we not obey? Thank you so much for joining us for another episode from the Digging In podcast. This is part two of four in the story of Moses. We hope that you're enjoying it, and we hope that you are prepared and ready for the next episode. Join us next time as we dig even deeper into the story of Moses 